Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and this week, Captain America casually orders the assassination of an Avenger. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Minute 128, which begins with the fall of Tony and ends with concern for their fallen friend. Back on the show, we just had him last week, uh, Sword Boy himself, Robin Burge. Hi, thanks for having me back. Uh, again, I, I could say this before every single minute that I've guessed it, I can't believe this minute wasn't taken. Well, okay, so <laughs> what specifically drew you to picking this minute? The big fall? Yeah, the big fall. The the the, the ball the, and the big Hulk rescue, uh, the, just the suspense of this whole thing. Like, holy cow, are we going to lose Tony Stark? You know, maybe just for one movie or something. <laughs> well, and that's, yeah, right. I, I suppose that's an interesting thing that is complex in the realities of making these movies. The fact that information that Iron Man 3 was the next film that was already out there kind of ruins some of your uh, suspense that he could actually die. They might actually kill Iron Man in this film, right? Like, did you feel that when you were watching this? Do you remember? I mean, I I know it was very suspenseful that when the portal closes, you're kind of like, what, wait, what happened? What happened? <laughs> uh, and, you know, Iron Man three could be a, like a like a Wakanda forever or something. You know, like <laughs> Rhodey could take over and uh, or, <laughs> there was like, a period uh, in the comics where he wasn't wearing the Iron Man suit. That's for sure. Yeah, that was the thing that that's the thing that I kind of come back to is just like the 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 perils of the schedule that they that they have with these movies. And, and I did note that it was that, that we already were going to get Tony again and Cap's casual aside that they should just close the portal. I mean, clearly Cap's the menace in this movie at this point. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I think uh, perhaps maybe he bears a grudge for uh, Howard Stark leaving him under the ice uh, those many years ago. Like, I'll take the test rack <laughs> and leave the captain. Yeah. Vengeance must be paid. <laughs> yeah. 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 A civil war, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, maybe. There is this element, though. We had this conversation earlier on the helicarrier when this was after Fury had kind of pitched to uh, these two, to Steve and Tony, about joining the team and stopping this and all this sort of stuff, kind of at the low point for all of our characters. And then Tony goes to the um, the holding cell area and and uh, Steve joins him there and they have this conversation. Steve's like, have you ever lost a soldier? And of course, that's when Tony's like, we're not soldiers, that whole angle. But still, it's this idea of in a military operation, which ostensibly this is, I know we're not really calling this part of the military, but essentially that's what they are here. Uh, this is this point where you have this captain who everybody has kind of acknowledged you're going to lead us. Even Tony came in and said, all right, what's the what's the call? And this is this hard decision that I suppose any military leader is going to have to acknowledge they have to make at some point of when do you take an action that leaves people behind for the greater good, you know? Mm-hmm. For the greater good, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, my my question really is why? Like, wh- I'm I'm watching this part, and I'm I you know I see we see a we we hear a a, a classic Nolan Brom noise happen. We see some sort <laughs> of light shining through the portal. Is it a ship? Is it a sun? Uh, or what makes Steve go? Yeah, let's close it. Like. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, oncoming threat. I don't see, like, a bunch of ships sitting there heading towards the portal. I don't see anything. 
I would assume that it's this, um, it's the ticking clock that they've had with this missile, because oh. uh, it's a, a nuclear missile and pushing it through the portal as Tony did. He got it out the other side, and I don't know. I my that. my assumption is that the fact that you're seeing this glowing light from the other side is acknowledgement that it did detonate yeah. over on the other side. That there's something oh. over there. So there's a nuclear they blast have to close it. Yeah, so they they're going to have to close this, or the nuclear the the blast from that nuclear explosion is going to rip through the hole. Now, a tiny hole worth. I don't know how much uh, radiation that's actually going to create. I'm not exactly in the scope of things. I, I've never seen that in an analysis of you know damage from the nuclear uh, yeah. blast. Like, what, what is does it going to do? The ozone layer. If, yeah, if it's, right. yeah, if it's coming right. through a 50 foot hole, how much? Radiation will actually. How many people are affected here? Yeah, how much radiation is carried in a lens flare? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's you know what you just brought up a really interesting question though, Andy. Because and I don't think you intended to. How big is this hole? How wide is the hole over the Earth? It's got to be more than fifty feet. I feel like that was well. We, yeah, I, you I, were just, just tossing yeah. it off. But have we ever decided? Have we ever figured out how big this one-sided hole is? I mean the the Leviathan come through. They are about. They're they're a little less than a block's width, which is a couple uh, hundred feet or so. Um, I haven't measured a block recently, but uh, and in New York City, I'm not exactly sure how wide those streets are there, but you know, not super wide. Still, as those Leviathan fly through, they'll hit the windows sometimes, but not always. And so, I think it's one of those things where that hole can fit a leviathan so it's at least it's that wide maybe a little wider because there is that point when thor is blasting it with the lightning where there are two leviathan kind of squeezing through together Mm. and he pushes them back so i don't know maybe a couple hundred feet at its maximum the standard block in manhattan is 264 feet by 900 feet they're oblong blocks the standard manhattan block so say it's 300 feet for the whole. So it's probably, mm-hmm. yeah, somewhere in that 300 foot radius. Yeah. And if there are like three, uh, Chitauri ships coming through and the hole's not big enough, does the hole like then stretch to allow? Oh, it's like <laughs> a, there's some sort of elasticity to the hole. Yeah. Yeah. You might think. <laughs> well, that's interesting because there's, but I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. There's nothing. That, that's a really interesting question. There's nothing. On like there's not a there's not a ledge right so yeah. on one side it's space on the other side it's sky yeah. and so if a person is falling through going through space and they hit the edge of the hole what happens is is <laughs> <laughs> they bounce and then roll <laughs> <laughs> yeah like does yeah, it like create curb. Is it like is it like a like a blue glow? Is there an actual ledge like they could actually kind of hit if they were? Or does hit? like half a body go through, fall through to Earth, yeah. and, the, and other the other half, half falls right. through space? It's like a right. laser, laser grid. edge. Oh, yeah, laser edge. And there's got to be some sort of field or something because it's not like the Earth is decompressing as a result of space being opened up in the sky right right above it. Yeah, we've talked about it kind of like being almost like a film or something that they seem to... It's not like they have to push to get through it at all, but it is one of these things where it just kind of like... They just kind of go through as needed. There's, there's nothing 
preventing them from making it through. It's not a force field, you know, that they have to fight their way through. Well, that's just something else that's interesting. I always imagine that there's going to be some sort of current that they're fighting against because, I mean, there's a beam of something firing directly in their faces to open this thing. <laughs> it feels mm. like, oh, shouldn't yeah. there be some sort of restraint uh, pushing back against them? My my sense of the beam is that it's it's a hollow beam. Like yeah. the way that it seemed is like it hits and it opens, but then it kind of widens. And so, yeah, I guess technically they would be flying into the center of the beam on the Earth side, and then they'd have to fly through the blue energy to get out, which is obviously something that's never really dealt with. The fact that everybody has to get through the blue energy at some point. Right. That feels like that's an open question. Like those, like if that blue energy seemed to be a pretty serious thing when it was still in the NASA bunker, it's like 300 years ago uh, when we started this podcast. And now it's uh, it feels like it's OK to to chill out and, and swim into the middle of if you're a Leviathan, for example, which is absolutely going to be impacted by the oncoming flow of energy beam or Tony carrying a missile like he has to get through that, too. Or Tony yeah. carrying a missile. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Tony get an assist going out the hole because of the beam? Like, was he pro- propelled? Oh, sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a good question. He just faster. ride the wave. Yeah. yeah. It's obviously not dealt with in any way, but it is an interesting point for sure. I Speaking of, like, propulsion and stuff, I mean, obviously, we're lucky that Tony had those shoulder, I don't know, it looked like the missile containment units on his shoulders that he used to blast him to kind of knock him back toward that hole and aim him toward the hole conveniently since he passes out here and can't do it himself. Mm-hmm. But also having, you know, been schooled on nuclear explosions from all of those test films that you see where it like blasts incredibly flat fast as it like rips houses and palm trees and everything into just pieces. I, I just, I wonder if the Chitari mothership that blows up If that explosion of the nuclear blast is actually going too slow, I I feel like by the time that it blew up, it would have obliterated Tony and already been through the hole before they even had a thought to start closing this thing. That's a good question. There might be some space physics that I don't understand to be able to address that. (laughs) Also, though, it is a discussion of the of like the the raw distance. Like, is there a is there any like accounting for the fact that that ship that the missile runs into is actually still very far away from where Tony lets it go at the mouth of the hole? Yeah. I mean, we we never we never are close to it. We never know exactly how far the distance is from the Shatari mothership to the hole itself. No, we never really do. But is there? Wait a minute. Back to the elasticity of the hole question. Was there an expectation that that Shatari mothership would eventually come through the hole? I don't think so. I, uh, it didn't seem to be moving. It just seemed to be sending ships and Leviathan okay. through, and then controlling them all through its whatever hive mind control that it has. Yeah. All right. Just a server farm. Basically, it doesn't look like an attack ship. No, no, it doesn't. But I just, you know, it's one of those things like when you stage an invasion, there's always you send the troops first and you prepare the place and then you send the mothership with like schools and 
you know, other <laughs> services. Schools, the Chitauri schools for all the children. Oh man, there, how many how many civilians were on that ship? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, this is, yeah, a, this right. is a this is a second Death Star scenario, isn't it? <laughs> oh no, oh, yes, oh, no. <laughs> absolutely. Which we've we've long held that this is actually an advocacy story to save the Leviathans, and now it's actually to save the entire Chitauri people. Yeah, they're all. Oh, where prisoners. else are they going to be? They're, they had that like place where the what was it the other one or whatever uh was living on the other yeah, yeah the other yeah uh, that didn't look very hospitable he I just mean, hops from moon rock to moon rock he's floating <laughs> in space that's all he does <laughs> yeah. it's yeah i mean to your point though pete it does eventually say for example the avengers weren't here and loki and the Chitari were able to take over earth it does make sense that eventually they would start wanting to get bigger ships and bigger ships and bigger ships through that space hole so that they could fully inhabit this planet and take over yeah that's the way v did it that's the way independence day did it like you just have eventually the big ships come yeah so i guess maybe Somebody would come through. Either Eric, if he had still been programmed, would be able to continue expanding the hole, or uh, some Chitari scientists would come through. Uh, that sounds yeah. silly when you say Chitari scientists, but whatever. Wow, that's very specious of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's hard when you've only seen the fighters. But yes, I imagine there are some really smart Chitari out there. Lab coats. <laughs> I just, the Chitari Glasses. academics. Yeah. I like that they, I, I want to think home. they talk like Tony Randall in Gremlins right. too. Like that same. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, all right. But it is a decision that they make uh, to shut this, uh, the space hole because the nuclear blast is slowly moving toward them. And, uh, Nat makes quite the face as she jabs the uh, scepter into the Tesseract energy to trigger this uh, this fail safe that Eric had built into it and cause the collapse of the hole. And um, yeah, and that's kind of the end of this. Um, the The weirdest thing that I think is as we see Tony falling toward it as it's closing, right toward the end as it is about to close up, it suddenly looks like he gets sucked out quicker. And that, to your point, Robin, or to your question about, like, is there some sort of, like, propulsion or some sort of pull as, like, the atmosphere and whatnot, it it, it seems like he really get, kind of gets sucked through at the last minute, which was I thought was kind of strange. Did it... Did, the Earth's gravity takes over? Uh, maybe? Is that what it is? But then, you guys, there's also this, like, flaming miasma of just stuff that he's falling through as it closes, right? Like, what yeah, is that all what, about? I don't know any of that. All this, and, and I don't even know it was him falling through. It just suddenly we're looking at fire and sparks. Yeah, and then, not boom, blue. Blue, blue. Blue cloudy skies. <laughs> like, yeah, I would have blue. expected because the hole was all blue, the edge of the hole was blue, we would be falling through some sort of blue wave if there's going to be some sort of wave. But it actually gives the hole itself, like, depth that I didn't expect. I thought it was just flat, but it feels like it it closes around Tony while he's in this sort of nether space between outer space and Earth space. Yeah. Yeah, there's something funky there. And then you do see the nuclear blast wave hit. Like, And that, I, it's an interesting shot because we're looking at the hole and the blue energy, and then suddenly it's gone and it's space, and then we're in the wake of the nuclear explosion. So you can see how close it was actually behind him, which is kind of interesting. Oh, that's interesting. So maybe that's what we're talking about. Like the wave that hits, the blue closes, and it's the 
Oh, that, okay. So the orange is the nuclear stuff. Yeah. Oh. Right, right, right. Yeah. And you can see, you can see it coming. Like when we're looking up toward the one sided hole around 23 seconds, it's glowing orange because that's the nuclear wave coming. Yeah, toward I see it. it now. Yeah. Man, that is a sphincter. <laughs> I can't see anything the else. The first <laughs> of our many sphincters that, that we'll wow. end up having in this franchise. Okay, two. But sounds funny when you say many. <laughs> a wonderful starfish. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so Nat, Nat is the one that has to uh, destroy the portal. And I was wondering, like, towards the beginning of this minute, she looks up and she says, come on, Stark. Like and I'm like, aren't they on first name basis at this point? Like, <laughs> not when they're in uniform. Not, oh, not when they're okay. in uniform. That's official last name basis. Oh, why can't you just? Why does you just say, "Come on, Iron Man"? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> that just sounds silly, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love like once they put their suits on. I love that they're just always constantly calling each other their their hero name, even though everyone Stop knows calling that's me Tony's... Steve. I told you, Captain <laughs> America. <laughs> Come on, I'm wearing the duds. <laughs> I'm on stage like he would talk like a, a like a yeah. Disney employee. Like you know, right, once you're right. once you've got your outfit on, you're on stage and everybody is your audience. <laughs> Meanwhile, Thor is like, I don't know what these guys are. Right. Thor is Thor. Right. This isn't costume. <laughs> <laughs> these are my Monday pants. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony falls, um, and you know everybody's excited to see him falling. But of course, they very quickly realize that he's he's not falling in a controlled way. They they realize that he is actually he's not slowing down. AKA he's unconscious and likely going to crash into something. And so Thor, I like that he's kind of the first one to you know try putting a plan into action to go save him. He starts swinging Mjolnir around, but then it's Hulk who surprises us all, jumping and grabbing him, and uh, you know hitting the building as he falls, and then tossing himself to a car to save. Tony's life so heroic it plays well what do you think of this be- of this beat well this is why Robin showed up yeah yeah Robin what do you think well I thought it was funny I was trying to think of uh, like how much spin does Thor need to get to flying and how irritating has that got to be to not just be able to take right off and save somebody he's like hold on let's spin the thing <laughs> and then finally <laughs> let the hammer pull you away uh, I, and like and you he's like going to do this as a guy in a metal suit is falling from the sky <laughs> like how much time does he really have to swing that thing so i'm glad that the hulk you know surprisingly jumps from out of nowhere to save him uh and another great great i mean it's almost like a uh it's almost like a dom and letty grab uh from uh what was that fast six i think oh where there's yeah Swinging where around over the cars. Yeah, where she goes flying out of one car and he jumps out of the other car <laughs> yeah. and catches each other midair and she lands with him on the hood of the car, you know? <laughs> uh, but this one is like, you know, it's, it's, they hit the car and, and they just keep going, uh, uh, skinning across the ground. But yeah, it's all very exciting. It's, it's a great moment. And I, you know, just in the scope again of like always like newly contextualizing the position of where everybody is it's nice to see like as tony is falling there you can see the smoke from the building that he's about to hit and the corner that's where hawkeye jumped from you can see the the smoldering crumbles of the roof there where uh where he had kind of like avoided the explosions from the uh from the chitari and and somewhere one of these windows is what he had actually crashed through 
as he'd come down. And so it's just nice kind of contextualizing all of this and going, oh, okay, yeah. And uh, figuring out that it's all kind of just all the same same neighborhood. Yeah, it's all in the right place. Like Tony's going to just have to rebuild basically that entire building. Well, the entire three block radius is yeah, pretty having, much, a yeah. rough, <laughs> having a rough day. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Tony's like, oh man. Well, you should have seen this, the Bill Superman guy. Anyway, yeah, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, uh, but this is the big save, and it's a great moment yes. from Hulk. I, I, I love the way once Hulk does it, like he comes crashing down, landing on that car, taking it out. And then he just kind of like casually tosses Tony to the side. <laughs> Onto his face. To yeah. the side. Yeah. <laughs> Something but, about yeah, that. It's pretty good. Uh, you know, we're so used to Hulk, uh, the beast, and he's finally he finally takes a, you know, a, an order uh, from Captain America before this whole fight starts. So I think it's kind of cool that, you know, there's, you know, si- Bruce is uh, somewhere in there. Uh, being like, oh my god, my science bro, I gotta go catch him. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. The, so there's the a connection little... there that, you know, of course Hulk is gonna save him. I do like that quite a bit, that there's something about him that he had to, you know, he recognized that he had to do, do the heroic thing. Because, I mean, Hulk smash, that is totally, like, the sort of order he's given earlier that makes a lot of sense to him. Oh, okay, bad guy's up there. I'm going to go smash them and stuff. But now this idea of actually thinking enough to be heroic and actually save one of these comrades, I think that there is something um, likely very powerful in his head that's that that triggered his response to do that. That uh, plays really nicely, really does. And at the end, when it's Thor, Captain America come running up to look at him, and Hulk is just kind of like... <laughs> I don't know, there's something funny about the way that Hulk's face just kind of is looking at Tony as he's, like, growling at him, but also really curious. He's he's almost like a puppy dog that just Who rescued just a little a, animal. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. it's just like, oh, is, <laughs> what, is it alive? Like, Yeah, you know, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, is there a treat involved? <laughs> Should I get a treat for this? My favorite part is uh, uh, Thor running over, and you can really see the constraints of that 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 costume. He looks like a linebacker is just trying to work his way, <laughs> he's, and he's now I got to kneel down and not have the thing go up over my face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that yeah watch him gets better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, funny. exactly. Well, it has been a great minute. Uh, any last thoughts about this or anything else about the film that you want to say, since this is your last time with us, Robin? Oh, I can't believe it, Robin. I know, I know. Uh, yeah, well, I'm so happy to be able to uh, not just do a week of minutes, but to be kind of scattered around uh, the movie uh, and just pick up all the good parts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, did, am I the only one that uh, Googled Son of a Gun <laughs> to see where it comes from? Oh, I, apparently you are. Yeah, Son of a Gun, <laughs> Cap's yeah. line. Right. Steve says... Son of a gun. And, you know, of course, it's a euphemism for son of a bee, more kind of a more of affectionate, you know, uh, way or more. But it, I saw on Wikipedia that this phrase potentially has its origin in a uh, Royal Navy that pregnant women aboard smaller naval vessels give birth in the space between the broadside guns in order to keep the gangways and the crew decks clear. So if you're wow. a son of a gun, you're you're somebody who got born on a ship between a couple of large guns, I guess. That's amazing. <laughs> I had Holy no cow. idea. And this was a, a, a 
according to the sailor's word book from 1867, it had something to do with the fact that sailors used to be able to bring their, their ladies onto the ship and, uh, they, they just try ride with them, get out on adventures and have babies, I guess. So, so civilized. That's, <laughs> that's, that's actually what the Chitari are doing yes. too. Entire families are on that ship. What's their <laughs> what's their use of hospitals? euphemism that they that's they use when, when they were born born in the streets of New York or in the, during the battle? Son, son of a pew. <laughs> yeah, that uh, might be it. That might be it. Right, uh, right. No, but I I don't know. I I'll, I'll always love the Avengers. Uh, it's a great movie, and uh, yeah, after. Uh, after seeing the flesh, I'm just like, wow, how far we've come, uh, <laughs> and not. Uh, but uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. <laughs> uh, we are thrilled to have had all these conversations with you. Lots of fun, lots of fun. Thanks so much for joining us uh, over the course of the movie. I'm glad that you were able to pick some really good minutes. Yeah, tell everybody again about uh, the podcast that you're doing and those that you have out there for people to check out. The ones that are finished. So, son of a sword boy, son of a sword, <laughs> son of a sword. Is that what boy. we're calling it now? <laughs> Uh, yes, a boy that is born between two swords. Uh, <laughs> it's just known uh, as a cool guy. Uh, or sword boy. Uh, yeah, sword boys is a uh, a podcast I do with my friends, uh, and we are covering like eighties mostly uh, swords and sorcery and swashbuckling movies. We've already covered Highlander by now, and we are currently working our way through 1982's classic, The Beastmaster. Uh, where, you know, some beasts are beasts and some beasts are, are beasts that he can't control. There's, there's lots of discussion about beasts and the controlling of beasts and their will. And Tanya Roberts, mostly Tanya Roberts, we talk about. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. If you want some minute-by-minute minute stuff, I, I was recently involved in uh, the Karate Kid Minute as well as Fright Night Minute. So I've got those out there as well. Well, we'll have the links for those and Robin's other shows in our show notes. So check those out. If you're not seeing them in your podcatcher, just go to our website, marvelmoviebinute.com. You can check everything out there. Uh, meanwhile, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 129. So, Pete, thanks as always. It's so weird, Andy. Tomorrow, I don't think any of the Avengers actually know CPR. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>